Last week, we started a series. We're in our second week today of our January series called All In. And uh, we are spending the whole month of January to talk about what it looks like to be all in on our relationship with Jesus. And, uh, you know, not all of us are all in type of people in, in our natural tendencies. We talk, I talked about this last week that some of us may be a little more skeptical uh, before we actually will buy into something, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, skeptical people are the ones that kind of keep things on the, on the straight path usually. And then there's some of us that like to kind of dabble in a lot of things and not necessarily be all in on any one thing, and that's okay too. But when it comes to our faith, what we see over and over and over again in the Word of God and in Christian living is that to be a disciple of Jesus does require us to be all in. It's about living a lifestyle where we are giving ourselves to Jesus, that we are holding nothing back from him. Last week we talked about counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus, and that if we don't love him much, much more than everything else, Jesus says we can't even be his disciple. So it's so important that we start a year, any year, that we start off talking about being all in and being encouraged and challenged to be all in. And we're not talking about being all in on new hope necessarily, but all in on Jesus, because that's the first priority that we have even as a church, to be all in on him. And uh, so my, my text verse today is actually out of John 17, and I'm gonna ask you to stand with me again. I told you we like to stand and sit a lot, so uh, if you would, stand with me just in honor of reading God's word. Uh, this is Jesus right as he was about to go to the cross. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of his last things we see documented that he said while he was on this earth before he was crucified, and this was him praying for his disciples. But he wasn't just praying for his current disciples, he was praying for his disciples that were gonna be 2,000 years later too. So he's praying for us in this prayer as well. And he says in verse 15, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I wanna to talk to you today about our natural habitat. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word because we know that it is truth, that it is life, and it is what transforms us. So God, we give ourselves to you. During these next few minutes, Lord, would you do your work in our hearts? Jesus, it's all about you. We're wanting to build your kingdom. We're wanting to be closer to you, Lord. We wanna be all in on you. And I pray that our hearts today would be soil that would be fertile and fruitful for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you, you can be seated for a little bit. So I want, I'm talking today about our natural habitat, and uh, I wanna make a comparison here, not a comparison, but use it as an illustration, um, talking about animals and their natural habitat. Um, now before I do, I wanna just make sure I'm clear here. We, I'm not comparing us to animals, okay? So youth, don't get on your social media this afternoon and be like, Pastor Reagan was telling us we're all animals. Nope, not what I'm doing. It's just for purpose of illustration, okay? I'm gonna talk a lot about habitats today, but we're humans, they're animals, there is a distinction and we're different, obviously, praise God. Um, but as a, as a purpose of an illustration, I would ask you if you ever noticed or seen animals in their natural habitat, been on a safari or been somewhere where you've seen them uh, functioning in, in the way that they were designed to function. Uh, I had the opportunity, the privilege of going to Kenya. Um, I, I believe, I've been there a couple of times, but I believe this trip was in 06 went uh, from the church here, a few of us went on a missions trip. And as you typically do on a missions trip, you know, you do a couple things that are leisurely and fun. And so we went on a safari and uh, we got to go to a couple national parks. We went to uh, Nairobi National Park and 
We went to Lake Nakuru for a safari where we were able to just drive through and see animals uh, in their natural habitat. And in fact, I remember when we went to, I think it was at um, the Nairobi National Park, we walked up to the, the lodge there where you kind of enter into the park and they, gave, they made sure that we understood that we were walking into a natural habitat of animals because they had a sign there that I took a picture of that they're gonna put up here. It says, speed limit 20 kilometers per hour. Warthogs and children have right of way. So uh, that was to let us know <laughs> that we were not the primary beings or living things in that area. It was, we were supposed to give, give uh, yield to warthogs and children. It seems like an odd combination, but um, we, were, we were coming into an area where they were letting us know there was going to be other animals roaming around, I guess. And uh, going on this safari that we went on, we got to see animals and you know, they would kinda, you could tell they were used to people being around because they just kinda look at you and kinda keep doing their thing. You know, didn't really pay much attention to us. And we got to actually see them function unrestricted um, exactly the way that they were designed to function with no limitations and no expectations otherwise. And then you go from there and then you go to Columbia Zoo or the Atlanta Zoo and you go and you see these exhibits of animals, right? And once you've been in a place where you've seen them in their natural habitat, to see them in an exhibit is a completely different experience because they're not in their natural habitat, they're in a simulated habitat. And so they're not functioning the way they're supposed to. In fact, for the most part, they're actually trained and groomed to behave in a certain manner. In fact, some of them, if you've been to the zoo, they will actually, you know, when they see people come up to the glass, they'll do stuff to entertain you. You know, they do things to get a response. They're actually, they're kind of trained and, and, and groomed for that type of thing. And so you see them outside of their natural habitat. Now they they do their best at the zoo, they'll spend tons of money to try to make it look like it's their natural habitat, but we know it's not, and really the animals know it's not as well because they weren't designed to live in that habitat. So that makes me think, makes me ask myself the question, what is our natural habitat, our natural spiritual habitat? What is that? How are we meant to function without any restriction without any limitation, without any other expectations? How are we meant to function? Is it, is it something that we're only gonna experience once we get to heaven, to really function in our natural habitat spiritually? I do think there's an aspect of, the, the, of our spiritual life that we will never experience the fullness of that until we are in heaven, until we see Jesus face to face, till we live in the new heaven, the new world, where we don't have to deal with sin or fear or pain or disease or anything ever again. We all look forward to that, praise God, that's gonna be a wonderful thing. But I would also say that though that is another level, there's, there's, a, there's an aspect of living on this earth that Jesus did for us that we could actually experience our natural habitat here too, spiritually. Because the thing is, Paul tells us that we are not, uh, we, our, our minds are not, don't have to be controlled by the sinful nature. That we are actually new, that we were, bought by, with a price by Jesus. So our minds can actually be controlled by the Spirit and that when we allow the Spirit to control us or we live according to the Spirit, that that is actually true life and that's where peace comes into our life. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we have a natural habitat that we're designed to live even here on the earth. We're not meant to just float around aimlessly hoping for the best with our fingers crossed, hanging on till we get to heaven. We are meant to live in our natural habitat, and I can tell you today, unequivocally, our natural habitat is all about being all in. It's about being all in on Jesus. And if you really want to experience what he has for you, living 
outside of that simulated habitat and in our natural habitat, the only way to really experience that to the full is to live all in. It's the only, the only people that get to experience that are the ones that do that. And so I wanna do a little self-evaluation today for us where we can look at, because I think there's, there's basically two types of habitats for us as humans. There's the natural habitat, the way we're designed to live, and then there's the simulated one. And each one has different characteristics. And I'm gonna kinda go through these a little bit so we can kinda get a, uh, a perspective and a baseline for where I'm going today. So in the simulated habitat, one thing it is about is it is about bondage. It is about keeping you enclosed in a, in a figurative cage in your life. It is about not having uh, the freedom to, to live the life the way you were designed to live, but living in bondage. And it is, the thing that we need to remember about this is that it is created by someone and it is created for someone. So us being in bondage, that was created by the sin nature, that was by your enemy, the enemy of your soul. The devil is real and he hates your guts. And so his plan for you is that you would live in bondage in this simulated habitat for your life. And in this place, we are not free to spread our wings. We're not free to uh, dream because really there's nowhere to go because you're just confined to the habitat that you have found yourself in. And you're constantly, the way this manifests in our life is that we're constantly condemned, constantly living in fear and anxiety, constantly dealing with doubt in our life and letting those things rule the day in our life. That's what the simulated habitat would want us to do. Now conversely, the natural habitat that God would want us in is not one of bondage, but one of freedom. You know, you were designed to be free. You were not designed to be in condemnation. You're not designed to be in fear and anxiety and doubt and everything that would hold you down. You're actually designed for freedom. And Jesus came and made a way for us to live in freedom. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.1, my favorite verse in all the Bible, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. But oh, that's only the first part. Because the second part tells us that we have to stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So Jesus has set us free because that's what we're designed for. It was taken from us in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus brought it back to us to give us the freedom we are designed to live in. But it's up to us to stand firm and not allow ourselves to be put into that simulated habitat where we live in bondage. It's very, very clear that that is the plan of God for our life. Paul tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not that there's no condemnation for anyone. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, not living outside or hoping for the best, but living in, giving, being all in on Christ. There's no condemnation for us. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. It doesn't mean we don't have struggles and make mistakes, but it means we don't live condemned. We live free, because that's his plan for each one of us. In the simulated one, Another characteristic would be one of assimilation. Your enemy wants you to assimilate to this fake habitat that has been created in our, on this earth, the society that we live in, the, the natural realm that we live in. The enemy would want you to assimilate to that, and that is to accept this bondage that we live in, that he would want us to live in, this captivity. I looked up the definition of assimilation, and it's so pertinent to what the enemy's plan is for your life. To assimilate means, it's three parts. It's to take in, 
and then it's to understand what you've taken in, and then it's to resemble what you understand of what you've taken in. Is there a better word to describe the enemy's plan for your life? I don't think there's one out there. He wants you to take it in, whatever the world is offering us, take that in, understand it, spend time making sure we focus on it and understand it, and then resemble it in our life and live in such a way that we assimilate to what the world, what our sin nature would want us to take on in our life. That's the enemy's plan for your life. In a nutshell, very clearly, to just look like everybody else that's not living in their natural habitat. But conversely, God would say, in the natural habitat, he would want us to live a life of transformation. Not assimilation, transformation. That's his plan for all of us. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 12, another beautiful passage in our Bible, in Romans 12, one, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, this is your natural habitat. This is the natural way, this is what you were designed for, was to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You know what that means? It means to be all in. God's natural plan for you is to be all in. And he said, goes on then to say, do not conform, in other words, do not assimilate any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Such a powerful, powerful verse. Paul's telling us so much in these just few sentences that listen, give your life as a living sacrifice to him. That's the only way to keep from assimilating to this habitat. It's the only way to do it. But he says if you do it, he'll help you. You won't have to conform, you will be transformed. Every one of us needs to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Oh, it's so beautiful that that's God's plan for us, but it's so easy for us to assimilate to what this world would offer us. It's so easy, church, and I'm not here to point any fingers. This is something we have to deal with. This is something, this is a tension that's gonna be in our life until the day we do stand with Jesus face to face. But it doesn't mean we just sit back and hope for the best. We inform ourselves, we commit ourselves to living sacrificially to him, because that's where life is. And then thirdly, the simulated habitat would want us to live a life of dependence upon it, upon the system of this habitat. And I'm gonna spend the rest of my time today focused on this aspect of it, that, that, they would, that the system would want us to be dependent on it. You know, I, I've heard, I've read that animals that are put in a, in a zoo, in a simulated habitat, after a certain amount of time, if they were to put them in their natural habitat, they wouldn't survive because they don't know how to get food, they don't know how to protect themselves, they don't, they don't understand how things work out there, and so they actually become dependent upon this system. Completely dependent to where they can't survive outside of it. That's exactly what the system wants for these animals, but also for us. That we would be dependent upon this system. And not only that, what it tries to do is to deceive us into making us feel like this is actually our natural habitat. You know, that this is just kind of it. Like I said, we're just waiting until we get to heaven, until we get to be in that other one, but this is just kind of what it is. And it would more to make you think that this is your natural habitat and that this is the safe place to be. Out there, that's where all the crazy people live. That's the real crazy Jesus freaks live out in the natural habitat. If you really wanna live protected and have things nice and safe and easy, you need to be in this one because this is where you'll actually get what you need from us. 
But that's not God's plan for our life. That's not God's plan at all. In fact, that's the complete opposite of God's plan for us. In fact, his will not be a dependence on the system. Our natural habitat is living one of bold faith. It's living a life of bold faith in him. Our natural habitat is one of radical faith, church. Radical faith. I know we don't want to be seen as radicals anymore because that's a, for whatever reason, that's a bad word in society. But God has called us to live a life of bold faith. And, you know, this is how you know if you live a life of bold faith because if someone were to come to you today and say, what have you done in your life that exemplifies bold faith? What have you done in your faith? What decisions have you made? What choices have you made that would make me say, you've got bold faith? If you have to think back five years, 10 years, 20 years to some decision you made that showed your bold faith, you're living in this simulated habitat. You become dependent upon what is around us right here and right now. I don't say that as being judgmental. I'm saying that as a challenge to all of us. Because even for me, as I'm preparing this message and I'm thinking, you know, where, have I, where do I exhibit bold faith in my life, right? Where have I done that in my life? And you know what, Sometimes I, a lot of mine I have to think back and I, I do think about the, the near past too, and I, let me tell you, stepping into this position right here, that was an act of bold faith for me, no doubt about it. I gave up a business and a lot of other things to be doing what I'm doing here, and I'm thankful for it, but it was, it was bold for me. It was a risky endeavor for me. And so I'm thankful that, that I'm continually wanting to ask God to help me to live a life of bold faith, where I'm not being dependent on everything that this world would have to offer even though we do have to live in this world, we still have to function. This isn't about living isolated from the world. This is about a mindset. This is about our heart. Where is your heart? Because your heart determines where you live. We are spiritual beings. So our heart determines where we live. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us about faith. Beautiful verse. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, this is what the ancients were commended for. Now this is not, when it says it's being sure of what you hope for, you can read that and think, well shoot, that ain't me. I'm not sure about anything, right? That's not, it's not saying that you're so sure that you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. It's saying that in spite of my doubt, I'm gonna move forward in faith. For lack of a better term, it's saying I'm gonna stick it to my doubt. My doubt doesn't get to rule the day. My doubt's there, and it's, it's going to be rearing its ugly head, but it's not going to determine whether or not I'm gonna walk in bold faith. It's not gonna have a say. It doesn't get a seat at the table. It gets a piece of duct tape over its mouth. I'm not gonna let doubt have its way. That's what faith is. It's determining in your heart that you're gonna trust him. Church, we as if you're a follower of Jesus, we are called to live extraordinary lives. We're called to live lives of extraordinary. In, what, in, in so many ways, but just, just a few ways. One is that we are called to live in extraordinary manifestations of God in our life, where he does things in our life that you can't even really explain. That you can't explain, you can't convince somebody else of how it happened, or you don't even know how it happened, you just know God touched you, or he came through, or he did something in your life, he provided it in a supernatural way, in such a way that you know it was a manifestation of God. We're called to live that way. That comes from bold faith. 
That comes from living a life of bold faith. We're called to live extraordinary lives with our choices, that we choose to trust in the faithfulness of God, no matter what COVID says, no matter what our politicians say, no matter what the weather says, that we choose to, choose to trust the faithfulness of our God. And that we trust that he reigns in all the earth, he reigns in the heavens, he reigns in my life. I can trust him no matter what my eyes see, because in my eyes of faith, it looks different. Paul tells us clearly, we don't walk by sight. We don't, if these things here are guiding your faith, you're in trouble. You're gonna be on a roller coaster every day for the rest of your life. These eyes don't guide our faith. That's not how we live this life. And we also have extraordinary attitudes. That doesn't sound super spiritual or something that really makes us get excited like a manifestation of God, right? But it's just as important. It's about having the attitude where we're focused on him. We're focused on his faithfulness. Our, cho our, our attitude is affecting our choices. That we're choosing to trust our God. But instead, what we too often do, and again, I should have a mirror up here because I'm talking to myself too. I'm amening myself and getting mad at myself in the same time. But what we often do is we try to remove the risk in our life. Rather than have bold faith, we try to remove the risk. We try to minimize the sacrifice for Jesus. We just, we just do. That's just who we are as human beings. We minimize the sacrifice that we have to make and we become tame people that have conformed to the simulated habitat. And too oftentimes, church, our goal is to just arrive safely at the end of this life and just have this smooth transition into the next life. Can I tell you today that if you're gonna be all in or if you wanna know if you're all in, this cannot describe your spiritual life of just being saved. Jesus didn't die to make us safe. He actually died to make us dangerous. He actually died so that we would bring the kingdom of God to this earth. We don't do that by just trying to stay safe and staying in our simulated habitat and having somebody else feed us and having somebody else control the air conditioning and make sure we're comfortable and taken care of all the time. If we're really going to affect our society for the kingdom of God, I would hope that New Hope as a church, that we are sending people into our neighborhoods and into our society and into the, the places around this place and anywhere God would send us, and we are taking the kingdom of God with us. And that we are dangerous, not in a way of people should fear us, but we're dangerous to the kingdom of darkness because we're bringing the love and the light of Jesus to the places that we're going. And you're not gonna do that without a bold faith, amen? <laughs> Praise God. Faithfulness is not holding the fort and just trying to, let's just circle the wagons. Sunday is a little bit of circling the wagons and that is beautiful and that's important for us. It's a huddle where we come together. But the real faithfulness is the other six and three quarters days that we're out there. That's where the faithfulness really shows in our life. We're not trying to hold the fort, we're storming the enemy's gates. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates don't move. Gates don't move advance forward. They're not an offensive thing. The gates of hell are, the, are the, the protection of hell. We're going, storming into hell to get people out of there. That's how we're supposed to live our life, a bold faith as Jesus followers. God loves to show up for us when we are all in. He loves to show up. The problem is we're too often we're, we're focused on plan B. We're plan B people. 
people that love and serve and are committed to God to a certain extent, but always making sure we got that plan B in case this faith thing doesn't work, right? Not really putting yourself out there. And if you're a plan B person, the enemy loves it because plan B people are living in that simulated habitat. Now you might step out every once in a while and get a breath of fresh air, but you're gonna make sure when you leave, you're gonna leave that door unlocked so you can get back in because that's the safe place. But that's not God's place for us. He doesn't want us to be plan B people. He wants us to be all in. And the only way to be all in and live in our natural habitat is to get rid of all the other options. We have to get rid of all the other options in our life. And again, I'm not saying here we need to get rid of everything and live in such a way that we have nothing and we're just completely dependent on God for, you know, we're living off the land and we're living in communes. I'm not talking about that at all. Again, it's a mind and a heart. That's what I'm talking about today. So let me give you a, I want to tell you a little story from 1 Kings that kind of exemplifies this. Because, you know, our mindset and our heart, where we're at, it will incite us to take action in our life. You can tell someone's faith by what they do. That's what James says, right? We're not saved by our actions, but that our actions tell people or tell ourselves, really, where our faith really is. So in, in 1 Kings, you see the story of um, Elijah, who was the prophet of Israel at that time. It was during a very, very dark time in Israel. They were serving other gods. Most of the people had completely rejected God by now, and except for a remnant that God had saved for himself. And Elijah was a powerful prophet, did all kinds of wonderful things, and he comes to a point where he wants to, um, he, he brings Elisha with him. He, he goes and he goes to where Elisha is, puts his mantle around him, you know, and, and makes him part of his ministry. In fact, let me read the, the passage for you here in uh, 1 Kings 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out follow Elijah and became his assistant. There are so many good takeaways from this story. I mean, it, you could preach a few messages just on this small passage here. First of all, we know from this passage that Elisha was all in. How do we know that? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, he said goodbye to his parents, to his family. He didn't say see you later. He said Good goodbye. He was all in on following Elijah and following this call that God had on his life. Don't don't be mistaken here, it wasn't Elijah that called Elisha, it was God. Elijah was just the instrument that God used. And he was all in on that. We also know because of the obvious thing of where he destroyed his plan B. He destroyed the ox, or he, he killed the ox, put the, cut up the plow, made a fire, cooked the oxen on the fire to feed the neighborhood. He got rid of his plan B. So he was all in. We know that because of, the actions that he took here. And interestingly enough, what he was doing here in the natural is actually a demotion in a lot of ways because it says he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. You know, the, the middle-class family back in this time had one yoke of oxen. That was actually pretty decent. He had 12. 
So he was obviously wealthy, had a good thing going on here, and he gave up all of that to go be the assistant, the Bible says, of a guy that is struggling with severe depression. I mean, he was a godly guy, but he was struggling too. So Elijah took this demotion going all in to serve God in this capacity in his life. And you know, because of the fact that he did this and he got rid of his plan B, when it came time for Elijah to anoint Elisha to take over the ministry, because Elijah was about to go to heaven, he said, what do you want? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. And he got it. We know that because, well, the Bible says it, but also the, uh, the documentation of miracles that Elijah did in the Bible, he did 14 of them that are documented. Guess how many Elisha did? 14 times two. <laughs> 28. He got, there's 28 documented miracles, acts of God, that he did through Elisha, twice as many as what Elijah did. He got a double portion, and I can tell you today confidently that I believe he had the boldness to ask for that double portion because he went all in. He went all in. People would have said, why didn't you just put the ox and the, and the, the plows in the barn and store it for a while, or, or if nothing else, sell it to another guy who could have used it, and they could have used that money for, you know, for the kingdom of God or something. It was a sacrifice that he made. Remember, we're called to live our lives as a living sacrifice. Bold faith is what Elijah was showing, and that is exactly what God is looking for. He's looking for people that would say, not people that would say, why should I, but people that say, why wouldn't I? Why not? I remember I was reading it this week in, in Acts 8, the story of Philip as he was going along and he sees this Ethiopian eunuch in his carriage reading out of the book of Isaiah. And Philip goes up to him and he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch said, well, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? And Philip says, well, today's your lucky day because I'm gonna explain it to you. Gets in the carriage with him as they're going down the road. Philip tells him the gospel. The eunuch gets saved, gives his heart to Jesus, and they're driving along, and this is what happens. They see, uh, they see some water. In fact, in Acts 8, 36, it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why shouldn't I? That's what God's looking for. People that say, why not? Let's do this. Let's go in. You might think baptism, that's no big deal. We do that all the time. But you know what? If you know the context of this verse, this was when the church was being severely persecuted. This was after the stoning of Stephen, when the church was scattered, and they, the, the people persecuting the church were really emboldened because they got away with stoning Stephen, so they were persecuting like crazy. Saul had not had his conversion yet, so he was going around persecuting people. So for this eunuch to go out in public and get baptized in front of people was a very, very bold move. He was taking his life in his hand by getting baptized at that moment. And he said, why shouldn't I? I mean, either I'm gonna do this or I'm not. That's the attitude that we should have as we follow Jesus. Either I'm gonna follow him or I'm not. And if I'm gonna follow him, I'm following him. And I'm going all in. And I'm doing this the way God want me to do it. Now, if you wanna be a, why should I, person? You can find an excuse anytime you want. There are plethoras of excuses to not really go all in if you want that. But that's not exactly what God would want for any one of us. God is calling us to live this way. Why wouldn't I? He's calling us. His, his desire for us is to make statements of faith in our life. And I'm not talking about standing up and making a statement at a press conference. I'm talking about making choices 
making decisions in our life that are statements of faith, statements that show our bold faith for Jesus in our life. To live in such a way that shows we are not content to live in that simulated habitat. To show that we're not content having a plan B, but that we are all in. Now don't misunderstand, having a, walking out this faith and making these choices and doing these things, we're not saved by this. The Bible's very clear, Ephesians 2 tells us that it is by grace that we are saved. But it's through what? Through faith. And what is faith? Faith is displayed, faith is shown, it is proven by our actions. So we're saved by grace, but not without faith. And you can't have faith without action. So it all works together. And that's what we're doing. We're making statements of faith. So the question is for us today, are we making decisions that make statements of faith in our life and not just giving lip service to what we would think we need to say? Are we making choices that would make others talk about what we're doing? Now listen, maybe I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit because let me ask you, are you believing God for big things in your life this year? Are you wanting to believe God to do things in your life, to show up supernaturally, to uh, do miracles, spiritual outpouring in your life? Amen. I think a lot of us are believing for that. There's something about the new year that helps us to really believe God for fresh things and for new things. That's good. Many of you started out with this year with a fresh hope and anticipation of God moving on your behalf. And let me tell you, there are times that God says to us, just sit still and I'm gonna take care of it. I'm gonna blow your mind. I'm gonna show off. Man, it's good when God does that, isn't it? And it's, I mean, you can see it many times documented in the scripture. I think about when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they got to the Red Sea and they were trapped. They got the Red Sea on one side, Egyptians coming on the other, nothing they can do. And God speaks to Moses in Exodus 14, 14. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That's a good word. Man, that, Moses had to be sitting there going, yes, that's what I was hoping for. And you know God delivered them. Part of the Red Sea, they went across. The rest is history. Or Jehoshaphat, who was a king of Israel, a good godly king of Israel, and there was three armies coming against him. And he didn't have even close to the manpower to defeat these armies. And he goes before God and he says, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God's response, another thing of beauty, 2 Chronicles 20, 17, he says, you will not have to fight this battle. Praise God and amen. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Another one where Jehoshaphat was probably like, thank the Lord. And if you know the story, he didn't, they didn't have to do anything. The armies fought against each other and killed each other. All they did was go down and get the plunder. It's wonderful when God does that, and he does that. But can I tell you, more often than not, it requires some act of bold faith on our part. If we wanna see God move in these powerful ways, the things we're believing him for, the supernatural, the miracles, the outpourings in our life, more often than not, it is in response to us making a bold statement of faith in our life. In fact, I think about the tax collector, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was up in the tree and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm gonna go eat with you today. Goes into his house, long story short, Zacchaeus gets saved. He believes in Jesus wholeheartedly and he says to Jesus, I'm gonna give away half of everything I own and everybody that I've ripped off, I'm gonna pay him back four times what I took from him. That's a bold act of faith. That's bold. 
And when he said that, after he said that, the, the Jesus' immediate response was, salvation has come to this house today. That was a bold, now that didn't get him saved, but that showed Jesus his heart. You might think, that's no big deal. I, I, don't, I couldn't give away half I own, half of what I own and survive right now. I don't think I could do that. Could you? Could you pay back four times anybody you, that you've wronged in the past? That was a bold thing that he did. Or what about those preaching or practicing sorcery in the book of Acts in chapter 19? The, the church is spreading. The gospel's going crazy. People are getting saved like crazy. And these guys that practice sorcery, they got saved and they brought their scrolls into the town square and it says they publicly burned all of their scrolls that they used for sorcery. Now, you might think, well, big deal. Well, it says in that passage that they was, it was worth 50,000 drachmas. You know how much 50,000 drachmas is? One drachma is a day's wages. If you do the math, it's like 138 years of wages they burned, millions of dollars worth of stuff. And you see, what you see in these situations is it, it, it can seem extreme. You know, somebody could have looked at that and said, why did they burn those? They could have sold them and used that money for the poor. You know, like the woman that poured the perfume on Jesus and Judas goes, why did she do that? You could have sold that and used it for the poor. Because bold faith sometimes looks like that. Sometimes it's not about what I could do with this, not trying to figure out how I can maneuver or manipulate this situation to get the best out of everything. It's just saying, I'm in, I'm in. And these guys burned those scrolls, millions of dollars worth of scrolls. Said, we're in. We're not gonna, we're just, we just wanna get rid of anything that's hindering us from serving and following Jesus. That's what it looks like to have bold faith in our life. Some of you may need a miracle in your life. You may need a miracle this year. You may need God to do something that you cannot do on your own. Something in the relationship, something in your finances, something in your health, that you need God to show up and show off for you. But can I say today, can I encourage you, rather than just reminding God that it's a new year and you want something from him, let's ask him, like, God, would there be, is there something I need to do that you would want me to do that's a bold statement of faith that you would respond to? You know, God loves to meet us at the corner of faith and action. He loves to meet us there. That's his favorite meeting place. He's always hanging out at that street corner. He loves to meet us in that place. You want hope and peace and joy and faith in your life? I can tell you joy unspeakable comes from being all in and getting out of that simulated habitat and living the natural habitat that we're supposed to live, the one of bold faith, the one of risky faith, the one of not being safe, but really being able to spread our spiritual wings and fly with him. That's what it looks like in our life. And let me close by just encouraging you in one more thing. Your faith, these this bold faith that God has called us to. It's not just for us, it's for others too. Do you know faith begets faith? Faith encourages faith. For you to give your heart to Jesus it had to be because of somebody else's faith that encouraged you. And so when we, we are encouraged to have bold faith when we see other people's bold faith and see what they've done in their life. I, I 20 years ago, I took a bold step of faith and committed to go for a year and live in West Africa in the Sahara Desert and minister to the poorest of the poor in a Muslim country. That was a bold step of faith. But you know why I was able to do that was because I saw other people that took bold steps of faith that did it too. And it challenged me. And then my faith I know has challenged others since then and encouraged others in their faith. 
Our faith is designed to encourage and challenge others as well. There are people in this church that have taken bold steps of faith that have encouraged and challenged me. One very recently that, I, that just has hit me at the core of who I am, the Hudgens family, many of you know them, I don't think they're here today, but they have recently adopted a Down syndrome baby. And that's something you don't see every day. And it wasn't because they just, ah, we think it'd be fun. It's not why they did it. It's because their hearts broke because of the fact that 95% of pregnancies that are Down syndrome are terminated. And rather than just pray and asking God to help people not to do that, they decided to take a step of bold faith and they actually jumped in and adopted a Down syndrome baby. That's a bold step of faith, church. And they're my age. God bless them. We're supposed to have kids when we're younger, when you have the energy to chase them, you know? That's a huge thing. And I think of uh, uh, Jackson and Hannah Taylor, who are, they're not even part of our church, but we in our missions department have helped them because they have uprooted their family and they, have, they live in Kenya, serving out in a rural area, ministering to a people group out there and bringing the gospel to them. They're not there on a missions trip, they live there. And they just had a baby, and the baby was born in Kenya, and they live there. And they named their baby the best name ever because their baby's name is Reagan. But, but I mean, they contact, we, we contacted them because we heard they needed to build a structure so that they can continue to have services during the monsoon season. And so we took some money out of our missions department and helped fund that. You're actually gonna be hearing from them not too, not too long. They were supposed to be here last week, but they actually had COVID. Um, but, uh, we, we got them on video and we're gonna be sharing some of what they're doing, but it's powerful stuff. That's a bold step of faith to live like that. And church, we should be a church where we are taking bold steps of faith. We are not called to live safe. We are not just called to just try to get through. We're not called to just look like everybody else and just believe that everybody else is doing it, so that's what I'll do too. We, if we gotta look like crazy people, whatever it takes to live lives of faith, then let's do it. Let's be all in. And you know, sometimes it's not as glamorous as something where you can say it from a stage and people ooh and ah. Sometimes it's just between you and God. Sometimes it's just you forgiving someone that doesn't deserve your forgiveness. That's a bold step of faith. Sometimes it's worshiping God after you got a bad report from the doctor. It could be lots of things, but living a life of bold faith saying, I'm not gonna have a plan B in this life, in this faith. I'm not gonna have a plan B. I'm not gonna be a why should I person. I'm gonna be why shouldn't I person. Why shouldn't we? I, I wanna see stories in this place where we're hearing it all the time. People are just jumping into their faith and asking God, God, what else can I do? What can I do for you, God? What can I do to where you can show up and show off and to live lives where we are all in? Would you stand with me, please, as I close today? Now listen, um, our 21 days of prayer and fasting starts tomorrow, and, and if, you're, you know, if you're new here, you may have seen this at other churches, lots of churches do this in January where we take 21 days, three weeks starting tomorrow, and we just ask you to, to fast something. It's a biblical concept where we give up something, we sacrifice something out of our life for a season, whether it's food or whatever, and we just use that time to just press into God. And you know, you, you can press in and give God your, your list of things you need him to do, that's fine and great, that's good, but rather than just doing that, let's also press into him and ask him 
to show us what's holding us back from living in our natural habitat? Am I stuck in that simulated habitat? Maybe I don't even realize it. Maybe I am dependent on everything this world has to offer in my mind and in my heart more than I am on my God. Maybe I have assimilated more than I know and I need to be transformed more than I ever know. God can show that to you in your heart. God can reveal it to you. And let me tell you something, when God reveals something to us, it's not to condemn. It's to bring us out of it. His revelation in our life is always to set us free, not to condemn, not to beat us up, not to say, yeah, I told you, you could never do it. It's never for that. It's always to say, come with me. It's always to give us a clean slate. The Bible says that when we confess our sin, when he reveals our sin to us and we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the God we serve. And if you're here today and you don't even know him, you don't know Jesus, you say, I don't want, I've never given my life or my heart to Jesus. Well, I am so glad you're here because I don't believe you're here by accident. No matter how you got here, I believe the love of God wants to touch your heart and show you that it's not worth it to live in this fake habitat that our, our flesh man and our sin nature and our society has created for us. We are not living the way we're supposed to live. The only people that could ever live outside of that habitat and live in their natural habitat are followers of Jesus. That's the only way to live out there. We're called to so much more, but it's gotta be when we live our lives for him. Don't leave this place today without committing your way to him and asking him to forgive you of your sins because he is faithful to do it. He will come in and reside in you and you will start a journey of salvation, of living for him, knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what Revelation tells us. It's powerful. Come join the family of God. For those of us that would say we are followers of Jesus, I believe that something from the word of God today has pricked your heart and helped you to see maybe where you've fallen short. It's not for condemnation. It's for us to reset. It's for us to Re, to adjust and to look at our own heart and allow God to do his work in us. So let's pray. If you wanna to come to the altar, you're more than welcome. I encourage you to come to the altar today. If you just wanna spend some time here praying. But I'm gonna pray for all of us. Let's pray together. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. You are so worthy. You are so faithful. You are compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are rich in love. Your mercies never end. You are faithful when we are not. God, we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about who you are, your wonderful characteristics. God, we thank you today that we can know you, that we can live for you, that not only do you not wanna keep us at a distance, you're, you're imploring us to go all in to live our lives as a, give our lives as a living sacrifice for you and for your glory. Lord, I pray you'd help us today to do whatever it takes in our heart to live in the natural habitat that you've designed for us. That we would live lives of freedom, lives of transformation, and lives of bold faith. Bold faith, Lord. Help us to live in such a way that we can make statements of faith in our life, that we wouldn't have to look back 20 years to remember something we did that was bold in our faith, but that we could see it consistently, that we would live a lifestyle of bold faith, a lifestyle of bold faith, not being afraid or not allowing our fear, I should say, to control us or our doubt 
But Lord, that we would stick it to our doubt and live our lives passionately serving and following and loving you. Lord, you're worth it. And where we fall short, God, would you forgive us? Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us of our failures. We thank you, Lord, that there's no one that you will turn away when we come to you with an open heart. We bless you today, God. We love you. We honor you. And it's for your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give God one more hand clap of praise today? Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Well, listen, before you go, um, I do wanna encourage you in the 21 days, uh, these next three weeks, to, to just take some time to fast. It's, you know, it's something we do corporately, but we also do it individually as well. It's gonna, most of it will be spent on your own. You know? But it's so powerful when we, when we purpose in our heart to give something up for God for a season, and I believe he'll meet you in that place. So I encourage you to do that.